Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Welcome to Workday's first quarter fiscal year 2020 earnings call. At this time, all participants are in a listen only mode. We will conduct a question and answer session towards the end of the call. And with that, I will hand it over to Mike Magaro, Vice President of Investor Relations. Welcome to Workday's first quarter fiscal 2020 earnings conference call. On the call, we have Anil Bushri, our CEO, Robin Sisko, our co president and CFO, Chano Fernandez, our co president, and Tom Bogan, our executive vice president of the business planning unit. Following Anil and Robin's prepared remarks, we will take questions. Our press release was issued after the close of market and is posted on our website where this call is being simultaneously webcast. Statements made on this call include forward looking statements regarding our financial results, applications, customer demand, operations, and other matters. These statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. Please refer to the press release and the risk factors in documents we file with the Securities and Exchange Commission, including our most recent annual report on Form 10K. For information on risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that may cause actual results to differ materially from those set forth in such statements. In addition, during today's call, we will discuss non GAAP financial measures, which we believe are useful as supplemental measures of Workday's performance. These non GAAP measures should be considered in addition to and not as a substitute for or in isolation. Relations page of our website. The webcast replay of this call will be available for the next 90 days on our company website under the Investor Relations link. Also, the customer page of our website includes a list of selected customers and is updated monthly. Our second quarter quiet period begins on July 15, 2019. 
unless otherwise stated, all financial comparisons in this call will be to our results for the comparable period of our fiscal 2019. With that, let me hand it over to Anil. Thank you, Michael. I'd first like to thank everyone for joining our Q1 2020 earnings call. I'm pleased to report that our first quarter of fiscal year 2020 got us off to a great start for the year. We continue to attract new customers, and many of our current customers are growing their investments with us. Our customer satisfaction rating remains amongst the highest in enterprise software, and the success of our customers is a cornerstone of our long-term business strategy. Let's start with some of the highlights from Q1, beginning with Workday HCM. Momentum for this application suite remains strong as organizations continue their transitions to the cloud. In Q1, we added Carl Zeiss AG, Cisco Systems, Daimler Trucks North America, Old Mutual Limited, and Procter & Gamble, among the many new HCM customers in the quarter. Our proven ability to support our customers' large volumes of data and transactions continues to be a big differentiator in our success. Notable go-lives in Q1 included Enterprise Holdings and Tyson Shared Services. Turning to Workday Financial Management, we saw continued momentum in Q1 with over 50% customer and net new ACV growth. New customers included Advocate Aurora Health Systems and E-Trade Financial Corporation. In addition, during the quarter, many existing customers expanded their relationship with Workday. Leg Mason, for example, a leading investment management firm, expanded their use of Workday Financial Management to include all of their affiliates. Lastly, we also had a large Fortune 500 scale insurance company add financial management to become a full platform customer. As always, getting customers live and on budget is core to our business. Amongst the many go-lives of Q1 for financials, I would like to highlight Sprouts, Farmer Market, and NASDAQ. Q1 was also our third quarter with the Adaptive Insight Business Planning Cloud, and customer demand continues to reinforce our confidence in the long-term opportunity. We added approximately 150 standalone adaptive deals and once again saw success selling into the large enterprise market with approximately 50 deals representing both platform sales and planning add-ons. New customers selecting Adaptive Insights Business Planning Cloud in Q1 included Advocate Aurora Health Systems, Airbus, AstraZeneca, AutoZone Parts, H&R Block, and The Ohio State University. And we are pleased that our customer and product momentum continues to get recognized by leading industry analysts. This month, Gartner published its 2019 Magic Quadrant for Cloud Core Financial Management Suites for mid-sized, large, and global enterprises, and Gartner named Workday as a leader for the third year in a row. Also in Q1, I'm pleased to announce that we moved all customers to Workday 32. With this update, we delivered more than 500 new features, including deeper investments in Workday learning and Workday recruiting, finance-focused machine learning capabilities to help resource managers align skill resources to projects, and deeper integration between Workday and Adaptive Insights. Indeed, we are well on our way for a goal of bringing Adaptive Insights fully into the power of one. And last but not least for Q1, we're pleased to share that we are once again ranked number one on San Francisco Business Times Best Places to Work in the Bay Area list. This is the seventh time Workday has been ranked number one on the list. Workday also ranked number one on the UK's Best Large Workplaces list by Great Place to Work Institute. All in all, this quarter was a strong start to our fiscal year. I'll now turn over to our co-president and CFO, Robin Sisko. Over to you, Robin. Thanks, Anil, and good afternoon, everyone. As Anil mentioned, we continue to execute well against our long-term market opportunity, differentiating ourselves through our technology and our uniquely purposed customer success model. We are very pleased with our first quarter results, delivering total revenue of $825 million, reflecting year-over-year -year growth of 33%. 
our subscription revenue was $701 million, up 34%, and professional services revenue came in at $124 million, up 29%. We continue to see our long-term opportunity expanding outside of the U.S., with revenue up 42% to $197 million. Our non-U.S. revenue now represents a record 24% of total revenue. Subscription revenue backlog was $6.8 billion, growth of 30% year-over-year, driven by strong performance across net new bookings, add-on business, and renewals, with net retention once again over 100%. Subscription revenue backlog that will be recognized within the next 24 months was $4.56 billion, growth of 29%. Our non-GAAP operating income for the first quarter was $108 million, resulting in a non-GAAP operating margin of 13.1%. Operating cash flow in Q1 was $209 million. Current unearned revenue was $1.73 billion in Q1, up 31% year-over-year, while total unearned revenue grew 29% to $1.83 billion. We continue to invest in our people and in attracting top talent to Workday. During Q1, we successfully added and integrated approximately 400 net new employees, bringing our total workforce at the end of the quarter to almost 11,000. Operationally, it was another strong quarter of execution in Q1. We're extremely pleased with our results and have gotten off to a great start for fiscal 2020. I'll now turn to guidance. Our focus remains centered on driving strong, durable growth and we will continue to invest in our products and other areas of the business to support our long-term growth aspirations. Based on our overperformance in Q1, but keeping in mind we face very difficult second-half comps from last year, we are raising our fiscal 2020 outlook and providing Q2 guidance as follows. For subscription revenue, we're raising our full-year estimate to be in the range of $3.045 billion to $3.06 billion. We expect our Q2 subscription revenue to be 746 to 748 million, or 32% growth, with sequential improvement in Q3 and Q4 of approximately 4.7% and 5.7%, respectively. Similar to last year, this pattern reflects our increasing seasonal trends towards larger Q4s. We still expect professional services revenue to be 500 million in fiscal 2020 as we continue to prioritize driving the highest levels of customer success. For Q2, we expect services revenue of $124 million. For non-GAAP operating margins, we estimate Q2 to be 10%, and we still anticipate 12.3% margins for the full year as we remain committed to 200 basis points of margin expansion, even as we continue to aggressively invest for continued growth. The sequential decline in the non-GAAP operating margin from Q1 reflects typical seasonality and is primarily a result of our annual employee compensation cycle, which took effect at the beginning of Q2. The GAAP operating margin is expected to be lower than the non-GAAP margin by approximately 27 percentage points in each remaining quarter and for the full year. We still expect subscription revenue backlog to follow the pattern we laid out in our Q4 call with high 20s growth in the first half and low 20s growth in the second half. 
We continue to see a healthy pace of cloud migrations across HR and finance, but as we look at the full year, we're seeing more opportunities move into the back part of the year, specifically shifting into Q4. There is no change to our operating cash flow guidance in FY20 of approximately $790 million, or 30% growth. As a reminder, Q2 traditionally generates limited operating cash flows. This is due to the combination of seasonally low collections and the seasonally high sequential increase in expenses resulting from our annual employee compensation cycle. We are excited to have recently begun occupying our new Pleasanton Development Center, which will house more than 2,200 employees and also be home to our new customer center. We continue to expect the FY20 capital outlay for our own real estate projects will be approximately $130 million, of which $94 million relates specifically to the development center. There is no change to our fiscal 20 plans of $280 million for other capital investments to support customer growth and continued business expansion. And finally, I'll close by thanking our amazing customers, partners, and employees for their continued support and hard work. We are still in the early stages of executing against our long-term vision as a company, but our progress wouldn't be possible without a shared goal. We're off to a great start for FY20 and look forward to updating you on our progress throughout the year. Operator, let's begin the Q&A process. In order to ask a question over the phone, please press star then the number 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star 1 on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Cash Rangan from Bank of America. Please ask your question. Hi, congratulations on a spectacular start to the fiscal year. Uh, one question for Robin. Uh, if you look at the deferred revenues, I know that you don't guide to deferred revenues and billings. They're not exactly representative of the strength of the business. But nonetheless, I just wanted to understand if there were certain factors that might have driven better, much better than the typical seasonality we have seen in deferred revenues. And one for you, Anil, that you mentioned 50 platform deals with adaptive. Uh, are these fairly large corporations, or as the next few years unfold for the company, how do you see planning playing out alongside financials? Does one synergize the other? And just wanted to get your broader thoughts on the adoption of planning and financials. Thank you. Congratulations. Well, I'll, I'll take that, uh, and thanks, Cash. I'll take the uh, second part first. Uh, a lot of the, lot of the uh, traction we saw with Adaptive in the, um, in the suite market was in large companies, and I mentioned several of them. They were either add-ons or um, add-ons or uh, part of platform deals: AstraZeneca, uh, Airbus, and H&R Block. I mean, these are these are big organizations that are uh, that are embracing the adaptive business planning cloud. I don't know if Tom, you want to add anything? Yeah, I I think that's right, I, and Neil. And from our perspective, we've seen a lot more traction with the larger. Companies working, you know, with the broader workday uh, sales team, and it's as you as we know, those are longer cycle, sales cycles. Uh, but the the early traction with those customers is very encouraging. 
Cash on your deferred revenue question. Nothing particular to call out in Q1 outside of just the, the strong performance that we had overall. Um, and as you know, just a reminder that unearned balance can vary with contract terms and, and uh, you know, renewal timing as well. And if I could sneak one, Anil, any broad comment on the replacement cycle you're seeing in core HCM, whether it's legacy SaaS or legacy on-prem, it looks like there's a bit of an acceleration, another inflection point in that journey. And maybe I'm wrong about it, but just wanted to get your comment on that. Thank you. Yeah, I don't think we're seeing an inflection point or a re-acceleration. I think the, the HR product line continues to, to do very well. Um, uh, and... You know, we're we're now on Main Street in terms of the types of customers that are that are uh, looking to move to the cloud, and with the high levels of customer satisfaction and the proven, uh, you know, the proven points of us customers being live, I think it just it just bodes well for Workday. I think if there's anything that I would I would say about this quarter is that uh, uh, all the product lines are beginning to to uh, kick in and take some of the pressure off HCM, and I hope that continues. Operator, can we have the next question, please? And we have a question from the line of Brent Bracelin from KeyBank. Please ask your question. Uh, thank you for taking the question here. One for Anil and a follow-up for Rob. And Anil, uh, my question is on the demand drivers for cloud financials in the Fortune 50. Given the increasing number of proof points over the last year within the Fortune 500, what are the remaining objections you're fielding from the larger enterprises, and, and when would you expect to see some of the, the larger Fortune 50s begin to go down a path to embrace cloud financials? Well, I'd, I'd separate out, you said Fortune 500 and Fortune 50s in there. The for, Fortune 50s are really hard to predict, and uh, you know we have, we have a, a few of them. I, I'll keep my comments to the broader Fortune 500. I believe we're seeing, uh, seeing a very similar adoption pattern for Fortune 500s as we did in HR five or six years ago. Uh, the more reference customers we have, the more that uh, customers are facing painful upgrades to their legacy systems, the more that the regulations change with things like 606. Those are all catalysts. And I, and I do think uh, that the cloud is, is now viewed as uh, the preferred deployment option versus on-premise even for even for CFOs and and whether that's through planning or through core accounting, I think that 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 is happening as well, and that's been the case in HR and CRM for a while. It's beginning to happen in finance now. So a lot a lot of things. No no one thing to point out. Certainly good to hear. And then uh, as a follow up for Robin, you talked about you know more opportunities shifting into kind of Q4. Uh, my question here is just is this tied to a handful of of larger lands that are shifting because of complexity? Is it more geo-specific? Um, what are the factors there that, that you should point us to as you think about some opportunity shifting in, in, in the quarters there in the second half? Brent, this is, this is Channel speaking. I don't think there is uh, one single factor. I would just say that uh, particularly large deals, uh, the timing move quarter to quarter, and as we are becoming larger companies, those tend to navigate more and move more towards the back-end part of the deal, of, of the year, sorry. Uh, but overall, the pipeline is healthy and, and the quality of the global opportunities remain, remain strong. Okay, so it's not geo-specific then? Nothing to highlight really specific then. Great, thank you. 
And we have a question from the line of Mark Murphy from J.P. Morgan. Please ask your question. Yes, thank you, and I'll add my uh, congrats. Robin, just following up on uh, the prior question about more opportunities moving into Q4, you're, at the same time you're raising guidance, and I think you're reaffirming the um, subscription backlog guidance. So I just wanted to clarify, are you highlighting the same trend uh, that's been there, I think, for many years of the business just becoming a little more uh, Q4 seasonal, or were, were you intending to call out uh, some type of maybe more meaningful change in, in this fiscal year? No, n nothing more meaningful, Mark. I mean, as you know, in the past, there have been times when we've called out specific trends that we're seeing just to help our analysts and investors understand the dynamics that impact some of the metrics that you track. Uh, you know, for example, last year we talked about the difficult first half comps, what we were seeing, you know, in terms of larger deals flowing into the second half of the year. We're actually seeing a similar dynamic this year, but they're just flowing into Q4 instead of more evenly spread across Q3 and Q Q4. So we thought it might be helpful for you to just highlight that um, as you look at how to model our business, but it's nothing really unusual. It's just the continuation of the trend that we've been seeing. Okay, uh, great. And then as a quick follow-up, Anil, when you secure a planning win with a large organization like an Airbus or an AstraZeneca, do you see that as a precursor to, to a uh, core financials win in the future, or do you have enough data to know whether that um, – increases the odds that, that, you, that you'd be able to, to win core financials from that organization in the future? Um, I, I think it's still early, uh, but, but if you look at if, they've, if they have HR and planning, so they're, they're more than just one workday product in the, in the customer account, then I think it bodes well for finance. Then, then the account uh, has, a, has, a, has a chance just to default to a workday platform. If it's just standalone planning, I think it's probably harder to predict at this point. And Tom, if you want to add anything, no, I I, I agree. I think I think all those uh, accounts are opportunities to engage with the customer and develop a more holistic relationship. Uh, but I think it's more likely to advance if it's an HCM and planning deal. Thank you very much. And we have a question from the line of Keith Weiss from Morgan Stanley. Please ask your question. Hi, this is Sanjit Singh for Keith Weiss, and congrats from us as well on a strong start to the year. Um, Robin, maybe, maybe kick off with a, with a cash flow-related question. We looked at the billing performance this quarter and the deferred revenue performance, all very strong at you know 30% plus. Um, and the um, and the uh, it seemed on the cash flow side though it seemed to underpace the growth in billings um, as well as in um, uh, as well as in uh, overall cash flow. Can you give us a sense of why cash flow um, grew 14% year-over-year versus the 30% um, type of growth we saw in, in deferred revenue? Yeah, so because Q4 is such a high-volume collections quarter, it's not always easy to predict how much we're going to get in Q4 versus Q1. And so we saw an overperformance in cash collections in Q4, which took some cash out of Q1. So we still feel really good about our guide for the year, but Q1 was you know, a little bit of a, a lower uh, cash flow quarter for us than usual, but you should expect that to pick up later in the year. 
Great. That's that, that's very helpful. And maybe Anil, for you, as we think broad, more broadly about the platform, it seems like each of the various um, HCM financials, financial plannings seems to be performing well. As I look back to PeopleSoft all those years ago, um, you guys, I think, brought on supply chain um, at the uh, later stages of the um, of, of the PeopleSoft story. Is that an area where the platform can move next in sort of serving um, more of the sort of manufacturing um, type vertical? Any thoughts on that? You know, I'd, I'd say it's on the radar, but I wouldn't say that we're we're going to announce anything imminently. Uh, there's that that's a big that's a big undertaking. We still have more work to do to really establish ourselves as leaders uh, outside of HR. We want we want that same leadership position for financials, for planning. I think with planning with adaptive, we're, we're, we're one of the two. And then with Prism Analytics, uh, we saw 70% or almost 70% growth this past, this past quarter. So I don't, I don't feel the need for another growth engine at this point. Frankly, I think it'd be a distraction. We, we have a lot of work to do on the product side, especially as we uh, take, all the, take all the products into the world of machine learning. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd ask that question every year, and, and some year you might get a different answer. Appreciate that, Neil. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Justin Furby from William Blair and Company. Please ask your question. Thanks, guys, uh, and congrats. Um, Channel, I wanted to ask about just um, your efforts selling back to the base. I think there's been a bit more of a focus around that over the last several quarters. I'm wondering if you're seeing any sort of measurable impact, whether retention rates or bookings mix, or if it's, if it's more incremental. And then I've got a, a quick follow-up for Neil. Thanks, Justin. Um, that's, uh, that's customer base efforts or add-ons is tracking well. Uh, we see increased uh, adoption uh, around many different product lines, uh, recruitment, learning, clearly present, planning, expenses, and some others. We're very happy as well with the retention rates. We, we have commented again over 100% on, on a net basis. So those uh, efforts, we feel that they're paying off. Uh, they're still early days, but clearly as the opportunities increase, not only domestic here in the U.S., but also internationally with, uh, with a larger customer base, we see a, a huge opportunity there based on our great customer satisfaction and, and proven solution adoption. Um, that's a great opportunity for us going forward. Okay, great. And then, Anil, I think you mentioned Leg Mason, which, if I remember right, is a was an Oracle win, and it sounds like a win back for you guys. I'm just wondering if you could speak more broadly on whether you're seeing more of those types of opportunities in your pipeline from Oracle SAP, and, and if so, what, what do you think is driving that? Thanks. Um, you know, I'd probably rather not comment on, on that. We, you know, we won Leg Mason for the, the, full, uh, the full organization without going into all the competitive dynamics, uh, they were happy with what they had rolled out initially and, and decided to, to broaden their use of Workday, and that's probably best to leave it there. Uh, there are failed uh, cloud implementations. Uh, there are also cloud implementations of best-of-breed products tied back to legacy you know, core HR and finance that are on-premise. All those create opportunities for us. So, uh, you know, it all comes back to having happy customers and, and having projects that are, that are successful. And as we stay focused on that and other people don't have successful outcomes, hopefully they do look to Workday. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. And we have Mark Mordler from Bernstein Research. Please ask your question. Thank you. And again, as you've heard, uh, congrats on the quarter. Um, I've got uh, 
two uh, questions. Um, the first is, can you give us a bit more color on services? Specifically, um, how have you seen the Workday Delivered Services shifting from HCM to financials? What I'm really trying to understand is how, you're, how the process of moving in terms of getting the partners to deliver, um, not just on the HCM side, but on the full financial side themselves. Are you seeing the clients able to, big, the partners able to build um, and implement better and bigger um, implementations of financials. So where are you on both of those journeys? And then a follow-up question. Um, you know, we have, might have to get back to you with some of the specific data, but, uh, but finance is definitely now more than half of the, half of the uh, ecosystem, well more than half of the ecosystem is, is the partner ecosystem. That, that was the case for HR many, year, many years ago. Um, and I'm going to guess it's, it's uh, Better than 80/20 for HR. I'm not quite sure where it is where it is for finance. It's probably tracking close to that. But the partners of all, uh, to a large partner, have all embraced uh, financials. And in some cases, some of the uh, firms that were late to embracing HR uh, have made up by embracing finance early. And then we've got the boost from uh, these partners embracing adaptive. So uh, I feel very good about the partner engagement on financials. And our our stated goal is that our our services is there to support our customers and there for customer satisfaction, but we really count on our partners to take on the bulk of the implementation work. That, that makes sense, and that's very helpful. Now, as a follow-up, where are you on moving the existing planning customers over to Adaptive? Yeah, we've made, this is Tom, we've made uh, excellent progress, and I think at this point we have had conversations with probably 75% of the customers, uh, some of the customers who had Im implemented uh, the Workday planning product, it's, it's operating successfully for them, so they'll be a little bit slower in their migration. But uh, we have um, we have several uh, successful customers. Uh, for example, Bucknell University is up, is live, running on Adaptive, uh, and we we have five or six other customers who have already converted and gone live. Very helpful. Thank you. Appreciate it. And we have a question from John Bifucci from Jeffries. Please ask your question. Hi, this is Samad Samana on for John. Uh, a couple of questions. One, uh, for Anil, the 50% the, the net new ACD growth for financials is, uh, is really impressive. I was curious if, if we were to stratify that for mid-market customers versus large enterprise, how would that growth rate look? And then I have maybe a follow-up question for Robin. Jono on that first one? Uh, I wouldn't know exactly. I would need to c come back to you on that one. What I can tell you is that uh, the momentum continues in terms of seeing financials uh, moving more up market, and there is a good trend there. We had a, a great uh, quarter in terms of large financial customers, particularly in healthcare and financial services, to mention some. We saw a good um, momentum continue in terms of uh, financial first move that uh, we highlighted in Q4, um, and as well some good progress in terms of our ACN customer base coming out of, um, again, being very happy with the, with the product and the partnership, considering us for financials, um, and the pipeline around uh, those opportunities uh, seems uh, pretty healthy going forward. Great. And then, you know, Robin, I guess, from a bit of a CFO's perspective, if you think about the adoption for financials, how do you think in terms of all of the changes we've seen, you know, if I think about even ASC 606, as some of that 
lessons. Do you think that adoption for financials should continue to increase as a result of that as well as, as CFOs maybe have less to deal with from a regulatory standpoint? Or maybe just help us understand from your perspective on, on financials adoption as well. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great question, Samad. I do think there has been some distraction around some of these big accounting changes, including 606, and then more recently the lease accounting changes, which was, I know, a lot of work for um, public company finance organizations. It will be interesting to see um, as the companies get beyond that, you know, if that frees them up to make system changes. I do believe that one of the things that these accounting changes really highlights is how difficult it is to implement these changes if you're on a legacy on-premise financial system where, you know, customers who are in the cloud and even more specifically on Workday Financials, we built in all the functionality that they needed to adopt and account properly under the standard going forward. And we did that internally ourselves as well. We're using all of the lease accounting uh, functionality uh, to adopt that uh, at the beginning of our Q1. So I do think that it will highlight the need for uh, CFOs and businesses to move to the cloud. Um, so I do expect some positive momentum coming out of that, but the timing of that is, is unclear as a lot of companies will, will move um, along their own timelines. Great. appreciate you taking our questions, and congrats on the quarter. And we have a question from the line of Alex Zukin from Piper Jaffrey. Please ask your question. Hey, guys. Uh, <clears throat> so two quick ones from me. Robin, maybe just one more time on the, the linearity of the pipeline through the year. If you could talk to, are you saying that the, the, this, is a, this is a question of the comps being just more difficult in the 3Q period versus last year, or, or is it something about you know, the size of some very large uh, and pace of some very large transactions that could make 4Q uh, more or could make the, the year more back and loaded? And which, where would that you know, where would that show up? Is it, should we look at two years ago from a billings linearity or deferred linearity to, to get a better uh, sense than, than in the year ago period? And then I've got a quick follow-up. Yeah, Alex, so really two different things. One, you know, wanted to highlight the difficult comps from last year for the back half, right, just overall. Uh, but my comment specifically about Q4, and then I'll turn it over to Chano to, you know, to, to add what he wants, is when we look at our net new ACV for the year, um, a higher percent of it is landing in Q4 than what we've seen in the last few years. Now, this is just the continuation of a trend um, that we've been seeing, but I did want it to, to call it out because it will impact your backlog, it will impact unearned, which will impact other metrics that you derive from those. Um, so just wanted to make sure that you had the visibility that, that we were seeing uh, with that dynamic. Chano, anything you want to add? Thank you, Robin. Not much. I would say, Alex, that uh, as you know, we come we come off of a very strong FY19, a particularly a strong Q4, and some of the large transactions that will be certainly larger cycles in terms of how long it takes us to get there will also and will happen more materially around the Q4 timeframe again this year. So that potentially has an impact of what we are commenting here on the yearly linearity. Nothing else to highlight, but. Uh, I think that's, that's a normal cycle and trend as we are becoming a larger company, I would say. Got it. Uh, and then maybe just, Anil, a, a quick one for you. If, you know, now you're seeing the, the strong, really strong continued traction with Adaptive, your first much you know, larger uh, acquisition. As you think about the broader uh, aperture of your financial suite and, and you think about organic versus inorganic innovation, 
um, around that suite. How do you, do you feel even better now about your ability to add functionality there through M&A to accelerate your vision or, or just maybe any, any comments about um, how you think about that for the future? Um, you know, I, I think my, my, my personal view is that large acquisitions are, are really difficult and uh, frankly, a lot of things fell in place with Adaptive. Uh, number one, we, um, we knew the team really well. Tom and I are close friends going back 15 years. We had very similar corporate cultures, very similar focus on customers. And then the, the products and technology were very complementary. We knew the space. We were uh, pretty far behind where Adaptive was. So there was a lot of things that fell into place to make that work. I, I just don't think there's a lot more targets out there like that. So you could see us continue to do smaller M&A, but the big ones will have to be uh, will have to pass through a, a very tight filter on cultural fit, on technology compatibility, on uh, limited overlap in terms of in terms of both revenue and technology. So. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see that as a precursor for us doing a whole bunch more large acquisitions. Perfect. Thanks, Anil. And we have a question from Heather Bellini from Goldman Sachs. Please ask your question. Great. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to follow up on, on planning. It seems like you guys are having a lot of really good success there. And I know you've only owned the asset for a little less than a year, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the selling motion has changed since you've owned it, if it's a shorter sales cycle for you, given how well you know these customers already when you're going into your installed base with it, and maybe any comment on, you know, your ability to sell this, um, you know, it, like a, as an add-on to what, uh, you, you know, as a sweet sale versus, versus standalone traction. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Heather. This is Tom. So there are two fundamental selling motions. The first is a stand where we're selling sta uh, planning on a standalone basis, and that's analogous to the way we sold the product uh, prior to the uh, acquisition by Workday. We continue to have a lot of success uh, with that selling motion, a lot of interest, uh, from customers and the business there. We continue to be very pleased with the, the business there. I think in the nine months since the acquisition, the biggest change has been in Adaptive's ability to penetrate larger customers and have meaningful conversations. These are often platform deals, and I'll let Channel comment on that as well, uh, or they're you know, planning upsells to existing customers. And I believe the credibility that we have being part of Workday has really accelerated our ability to have meaningful conversations with those customers. Yeah, um, com completely, completely agree, Tom. I, I think, uh, yes, the, the decision planning cycles are shorter than a normal financial cycle. So you see a couple of motions there. One is those customers that will be going with uh, adaptive on a standalone basis even some of our ACN or financial customer base is starting with. And you see those where uh, basically they see adaptive as as critical solution for them to make a decision to move forward with us, either on a financial transformation or on our HR transformation. And that is certainly an asset that uh, we didn't have um, a significant strength before. And that was, uh, that was I would say, a gap. Um, and it is much more complementary now. So. So clearly, it's, um, it's great uh, the power that it's giving us in terms of not just 
the adaptive planning, standalone business, but uh, obviously for customers making broader decisions with Workday. Well, now I would just add that the three we highlighted in the um, in the press release uh, um, were all existing Workday customers, and they bought it as an add-on. Uh, Airbus, uh, AstraZeneca, and uh, H&R Block all all were already existing Workday customers, so that wasn't even part of a platform deal. So that's that's also a very exciting new development for us. Great. Thank you so much. And we have Derek Wood from Cohen & Co. Please ask your question. Great. Thanks. And Neil, uh, you mentioned trying to get new machine learning capabilities woven into the platform. Where where are you guys in this journey? And how should we think about, you know, the monetization, the, 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 how you get monetization out of it? Does it give you pricing leverage? Um, what the uh, what the revenue capture is? Well, we are uh, we we have been for the last three years basically sewing in the the machine learning capabilities into the platform rather than making it a feature app by app. Right? You could you could add machine learning to one specific app, but it's not re leveraged by the rest of the application. So, we're taking the longer term approach of building it into the fabric. And today we've got uh, we've got several examples of of where it's shown up. Uh, in the uh, career planning world, it, it, the, the system can make recommendations for the next uh, move you should take or the next course you should take on the, on the learning side. In the finance world, uh, uh, a lot of uh, automation around, um, around the audit process. So it's coming to life uh, really rapidly, and we're going to unveil a whole, more, a whole wave of more capabilities at our next user conference. I don't see it as uh, pricing. Uh, we're not going to charge extra for it. I, it's hard to say. It's hard to see charging one price for the products with machine learning and then charging less uh, if they don't have machine learning. I think it's going to be a, a core capability that is just just required to to be competitive. And and so uh, maybe it gives us pricing leverage because we'll be ahead of our competition. I think it's very likely that we are already ahead and we'll just extend that gap. Well, and we'll see if that uh, you know if that gives us some pricing leverage. Okay, and I guess um, just staying on a product question, uh, do you have any update on your your platform efforts? I know it's uh, you know it's a long build out cycle, but are there certain milestones we should be looking at um, as you uh, as you roll this out to the market? Well, so we we now are up to um, almost 100 customers that have signed on for uh, for being either a, a pilot customer or actually using the platform in production. Very simply, the, the path to being in full GA, right now we're in limited GA, is just opening up the full platform from an API perspective. Right now we're building out the APIs for very specific use cases, making sure those first wave of customers are successful, and then adding a new set of APIs to open up uh, additional use cases. And um, you'll just see over time that, uh, you know, I think of it maybe won't take as long, but Gmail was in beta forever, even though it was a great product. I think we're going to be in some form of uh, limited GA for some time, just as the breadth of APIs increases. But if the if the APIs that are there meet your needs, then it's full GA. So I, I think that's that's the maybe that's not a clear way to describe it. But we have work to do on the APIs. The rest of the platform looks very strong. Okay, okay, that's good color. Thank you. And we have a question from Brian Schwartz from Oppenheimer. Please ask your question. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my question here this afternoon, either for Chano or Anil. I was wondering if you can share with us, it's an industry question, on, on what you're seeing on demand trends and the pipeline momentum in the federal government. 
And then as we think about financial management in the federal government, it's possible to either compare or contrast the adoption trends that you're seeing for that industry versus what you're seeing in the commercial area. Thanks. Yeah, this, this will be really simple and really short. We don't, we don't sell to the federal government. Uh, there's a whole set of unique accounting requirements and, uh, and even HR requirements that almost make it a completely different product line. Now, if the federal government continues down the path to acting more like commercial organizations that, w- that would open up a brand-new market for us, and we do have some uh, quasi-federal agencies that are, that are Workday customers because they actually tend to operate more like a commercial entity. But right now it's, it's, um, it's, not, it's not a focal, focal point for us. Ed, we have Scott Berg from Needham. Please ask your question. Hi, everyone. Congrats on a good quarter. Just one, one question for me, and I don't know who wants to take it. But uh, we heard in the quarter that um, I assume it was Workday Ventures made an investment in one of the uh, large RPA, robotic process automation vendors that's out there. And that company subsequently bought both your financials and HR platform and is using it to reduce the implementation times by 50% uh, or better. I just wanted to know, is, is this a technology you guys are looking to bring into your own implementation cycles? Because I know that has been a uh, large focus to reduce implementation timeframes and costs over the last two years. Thank you. Yeah, I, I would say uh, that's in the TBD category. Uh, you know, we, we make investment in a lot of interesting technologies. This, this new world of automation um, is definitely interesting to us, but we haven't made any decision yet to bring it into our own platform. And some of the some of the um, estimates in terms of reduced time, we haven't been able to validate those ourselves. So. Uh, we continue to invest heavily in our technologies to reduce the cost of implementation, and if some of this RPA stuff can, can reduce the cost of implementation, reduce the time, we definitely would embrace it, but um, unclear at this point. It's an exciting new area, but unclear that there's something that we're going to bring in closer to Workday. We have time for two more questions. Our next question comes from the line of Ramo Lance Chow. From Barclays, please ask your question. Hey, thanks for speaking to me. And um, quick question um, uh, for Anil. If you look at the um, competitive landscape, uh, one of your competitor, large competitors uh, is trying to force their client base over to a kind of non-value-add upgrade. Do you see anything of that showing up in your uh, conversations already, or is that something that's still going to come? Thank you. You know, any time a customer is facing an upgrade from the legacy platform, uh, you know, they tend to look around, and all we want to do is just be, uh, just be in the mix of, of conversations. There definitely are customers that probably don't come to market, but increasingly customers are smart about their choices, and, um, and so I do think that those kinds of tactics just drive customers into a decision-making process, and they look at alternatives and hope we do well as, as part of those evaluations. Customers don't like the, you know, they don't want to be forced to do to do anything. But I think if they're if they're being pushed to move into the cloud, if I were them, I'd say, hey, take a look at all the all the uh, alternatives that are out there before you make a decision. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Hey, makes sense. Thank you. Well done. We will take our final question from Brad Reback from Stiefel. Please ask your question. Uh, great. Thanks very much. Can you give us a sense of how the uh, renewal pipeline looks for the remainder of the year and the opportunity that 
can afford you to sustain the strong upsell you saw in the current quarter. Thanks. Yeah, this is Chano. Um, the renewal pipeline is looking very strong for the remainder of the year, and we at this point have no reason to feel other than confident with the same kind of renewal ratios in terms of a net basis that we've been sharing with you. And Chano, on that point, how's your confidence on the ability to upsell with this much broader product set than these customers saw when they first signed their deals? As um, as I commented before, um, you know, having a, a broader customer base with a broader set of products, when you have uh, the customer satisfaction ratios that we're enjoying, is just a blessing, right? Because clearly allows us to have conversations with uh, customers that are already seeing value in some of the products and investments they've done with Workday, and we have the trust to prove basically the opportunity for them to get value of the additional solutions that we bring to market. So we feel very confident, and we've been sharing with you some of the attached ratios on very high rates that we've been experiencing on, let's say, earlier products, so around 70% or 70% plus on products like time tracking, recruiting, payroll, and others that have been longer in the market. We have no reason to believe that some of the other products that are just newer will not get to the same ratios over time. Great. Thank you very much. We now conclude the call. Thank you for joining Workday's Q1 Earnings Conference call. Have a good night.